are live. Add me to stream. Boom. There we go. All right. Well, first question that comes from online. This is from Eric, who is blowing up the private Slack. I love Eric. He's so active. If you're not part of the Mastermind Slack group, uh, ping me if you want to get into it. And if you're on Clubhouse, I'll give you 25% off uh, at facebookdisruptor.com so you can join it. Anyway, Eric's first question says, if you have a winner and are scaling currently, how would you introduce new products and how would you distribute budget? So love this question. We always try to say each campaign should have a different business objective. So if your new business objective is to introduce a new product, then we start a new campaign. I would invest in the one campaign to rule them all strategy, creative test, try to make the thing work on its own. Remember, it's got to get out of the learning phase. So if you can't invest at least enough to get it out of the learning phase, which means 25 to 50 conversions during the week, it's a rough number. Remember, the learning phase is just Facebook being confident. It can deliver you consistent results. There is no actual magic number. You can get out of the learning phase in eight sales. You can be at 100 and not get there. The wheelhouse is generally 25 to 50. So if you are selling a product and you want to introduce something new, make sure you can commit that much to further future success. And you're likely to uh, get out of the learning phase. And if you can crack that nut, well, then you are in a great place. Another way of doing things, if you want to understand what products to launch, is one of my favorite things. If you're using DPA, dynamic product ads, to show parts in your catalog, go up to the breakdown section, hit delivery, and you'll be able to see delivery by product ID. And then basically analyze your DPA ads to show you which products people want to buy. You can try testing those out with email blasts. And if it's got legs in two places, well, why don't you use the profits there and throw it as incremental ad spend inside of your new one campaign to rule them all, creative testing to find what ads sell that product at a place where it's scalable and stable. And then boom, you got something new going. Second question from Eric is when scaling efficiency, what is your thought process from beginning to end? I.e. take out bad ads first, then run cost cap. So Eric, this is a really big question. I'll try to answer it as simply as we can in 60 seconds or less. And then obviously we can deep dive later. So when scaling efficiency, and those of you that know me know that I'm a big fan of scaling efficiency, not necessarily scaling spend. It's far better to get 10% more sales on the same dollar than spending 10% more to get the same amount of sales per dollar. The point here is get your average cost of sale from 50 to 45. Don't try to get 10% more at also 50. It's much easier. Also, it gives you top and bottom line growth because then when you scale up your spend, even though you're going to lose efficiency because you're raising your budget, you should still be more efficient than you were when you started, which means you can grow both revenue and volume and profit. So I guess that's not both, that's three things. So I, when scaling efficiency, try to stabilize the account, lower my cost till I hit a wall of, a law of diminishing returns on what I'm able to do, then one of my favorite things to do from there is start a regimented testing campaign. And yes, one of those tests is strategic, where I might take my control campaign, duplicate it, make it a CBO, run it against cost cap, and see if I can add incremental spend there with the idea that the cost cap will just deliver me a few conversions at below my average cost so that my data set is seeing more efficient sales so that my lookalikes and my broad campaigns are starting to see the average buyer as being more efficient so it knows what a more efficient buyer looks like, which will lower my average cost over time because I'm training the algorithm to understand my business objective 
incentives, which means I can actually increase my spend inside of my lowest cost bidding because I'm getting more efficiencies in my cost cap. I can be less efficient in my lowest cost. And then boom, we're scaling again. We're in a wonderful problem of we're so efficient, we're not spending enough, which is my number one favorite place to be. So with that, Eric, those are two questions. I hope that that helps. Yash, why don't you steer us off here and get some people to raise some hands and do all of that fun stuff. Yeah, before I do, you need to send that green mark to me because I don't have that right Oh, now. shoot. Sorry. Hold on a second. Here we go. Boom. There you go. Good stuff. All right. So, guys, raise your hand if you have any questions. I'll invite you to the speaker room and you can ask your questions. Anyways, um, and also I just want to add, uh, Charlie, as you talk about this thing is even though like do you want to talk about that facebook ui thing because like even though your facebook ui doesn't show you're efficient but your shopify dashboard you oh yeah sure well? sure so we'll, 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 while we, why don't you bring somebody up and i'll cover this really quick so what's sure and this has actually exactly. been one of my most popular instagram reels i've done it like two or three times now because i keep wanting to say the same thing so the more people see it <laughs> and my instagram shorts keeps blowing up your facebook roas is my as our buddy in the in the slack says rabba from our podcast, The Porch Online, you are not your ROAS. Your Facebook ROAS is only reflective of the information that Facebook sees. It's not in real time, and it's only reflective of the spend and data that Facebook sees, which is not holistic of everything. So when you're looking at your Facebook performance, understand that that's only a piece of the puzzle. And generally, it's more of a vanity metric than anything else or a nice health check. What you need to understand is how much money did you spend today and how much money did you make today? And yes, I mean today, specifically today. You know what? Delayed attribution is something that people love because taking credit for other people's work and overcomplicating this e ecosystem and trying to make some justification for multi-touch attribution is something that everybody loves because it makes the problem more complicated. What I would say is though, the reason I'm not a big fan of Delayed attribution is threefold. Number one, if I get a sale two weeks ago, one week ago, 30 days ago, seven days ago, if it is March 6th and I get a sale February 28th that's showing up now because of seven day delayed attribution, my finance department doesn't care. That February money's already come and gone. My, my fulfillment department doesn't care because they're not trying to send something out to something that occurred seven days ago. And also it's going to make my optimization and and understanding of my funnel, very complicated because if you came to my site seven days ago and then maybe came back on a Google search and then signed up for an email and then finally an SMS got you over the line, your reporting from all of those isolated scenarios is gonna show four sales. But your finance department is not gonna show four times as much money as you actually made. Now, where are you gonna sign credit? That is a way of solving a problem that has failed marketers for decades, and believe me, companies have spent billions of dollars trying to solve it. And the honest truth is thinking in that way has fundamentally failed every single company. The huge companies that do actually use multi-touch attribution and do all of that. And I know some of them, people that have spent $100,000 or more a year just trying to solve this problem. You know what their end of the solution is? What is the way that makes every department look good enough to continue to work? It's self-serving. It's not actually actionable insight. What we need to do is focus on what did we spend today? What did we make today? And how do we make that one day number look more efficient? If you can increase your one day click in efficiency and Facebook, you're going to see better and better people down the line. What it is, is directional information at treating your customers with more respect, giving them a better 
experience and becoming more efficient as a brand. And then you're going to have the problem of I functionally like I'm just leaving money on the table because I need to raise another round of funding or other problems that people have because Facebook should be easy. The real problem is everything else in your business. So that's a very long winded answer to your question, uh, Yash, but hopefully that hits home for you. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So before I proceed with my questions, we got a few people here in the speaker room, so we can uh, start with them. So let's start with Nick. So unmute yourself and you can ask your question. Nick, it's the button in the lower right. Mm. Maybe we'll come back to, oh, there, there we, we go. go. Okay. Sorry about that. Hey, man, it hey, happens. Hey, Ash. How are you guys? Doing good. Good, good, good. Uh, got a very quick question for you in regards to uh, the campaign structure. So I am taking one of my good ads, and my budget right now, I spoke to you over the weekend, or I guess it was earlier this week. Can't remember which one. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I, I was spending about 400 bucks a day. Um, I saw quite a bit of diminished uh, performance. But I'm also about to roll into my uh, creative testing. So I'm going to split that budget to 200 for creative testing and 200 for my ad that I know works. Um, with the ad that I know works, I just relaunched it um, in a campaign with the audience as we spoke about, the broad and the 1% stack lookalike. And I was curious to know from your perspective how much I should let Facebook spend if it's not performing the way I want it to. Um, so before it was hitting a pretty decent ROAS, uh, like maybe a two, 2.53. Um, and now I restart everything with the new audiences. So I guess it's going back into the learning phase. Um, and how much would you let Facebook spend? I'm at, like I said, 200 a day, but it, the performance is not as good as it was before. Um, is that just the kinks in the first day at CBO with the new budget? Should I just let it run for a week and not touch a single thing? Um, what would you do with that? Yeah. So two pieces here. Number one, uh, first off, great question. Number one, uh, yes, you're going to see instability when launching a new campaign, new accounts. That's one of the reasons that we try to get campaigns and audiences that are effectively evergreen. So we never have to deal with that again. Uh, and this is part of the struggle of setting up an evergreen campaign instead of just trying to get short wins is there's a little bit of instability to start off with. So love that you're trying to solve the problem in a way that means you don't have to worry about audiences ever again on Facebook. So with your ads, first thing is let's make sure we're using the post ID of the ads, not just duplicating, but you're actually referencing the same post. Check. All right. Awesome. Then the next thing is budget allocation. It's not so much about how much you're spending. What is what is important is allocation of that budget to make sure that you're getting enough volume that you're confident that each objective you're trying to accomplish is going to get out of learning phase. What I mean is, if you can't drive enough sales in a week for your control campaign to leave the learning phase, then the creative test is theoretically a liability. Or maybe you're trying to just find more good ads, in which case the control campaign is a liability to the, to the creative test. Um, if you can only choose one of those, my favorite thing to do there would be to have the creative test campaign be where you spend your money. That being said, there's nothing to say that you can't have one ad set in your in your creative test on CBO that is your dynamic creative that is running a bunch of things. And then another ad set that is your control ad that is winning. And it like in the one campaign to rule them all strategy, just instead of one of them being a creative test on dynamic creative, it's an option where Facebook is allowed to spend on a creative test winner. 
but it's still allowing Facebook to make the decision on, are we going to try to find new pieces? Or are we going to lean on something that we trust? But that way you're spending all of those resources in one pool and you're letting Facebook make the decisions that are best fit. And that lets that entire campaign get out of the learning phase. And if it becomes a liability where your creative test can't get enough spend, it'll be because your control ad is spending enough that your success in your campaign is desirable, in which case your need for new creative is not as strong. Like you can get to four figure, five figure days on the back of two or three ads. If you already have one, that's great. The idea here is trying to solve the biggest problem and removing the most amount of complexity. So if you have a winning ad, really understand, is it most important for me to leverage this winning ad so that I can afford to creative test? Is it most important for me to run creative testing and hopefully I know that I have one thing it can rely on or do I have enough to take on both endeavors? I think where most people fail is they try to solve too many problems at once. So I don't know your situation, 200 bucks a day might, if, if your product, if your average cost per sale is $70, it's not nearly enough to do either. No, 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 it should be around 25 to 30. Gotcha, so 200 bucks a day, you're in the seven to 10 sales a day range. You should be able to, at that budget, address both disciplines. What I would say is I would try to make sure that one of them works and then start to lean into the other one. My one concern with what you said is that you basically built a control campaign and creative testing at the same time, which could be an issue. But if you have the runway to afford that inefficiency for a couple for a couple of days, then yeah. then you're good. It, it's a bigger risk, but you're cutting that you're, you're you're skipping the line on, on some of the other efforts that you might have. So if you so say if I understand what you're saying, you say blend blend it to so you're having kind of one campaign if you can't afford the resources for both kind of have your your control ad in an ad set within the campaign that's in addition to your uh, creative testing and the singular campaign to give facebook the option of spending against all of it correct and then basically okay. you have a creative test campaign where you've got parts that are coming up with new winners in your dynamic creative and then other ones we have high confidence but you don't have enough resources to isolate them yet Okay, okay. Because then ultimately what happens is, you hear me talking sometimes about horizontal scaling, is yeah. you would take, once you reach a budget, once you reach a situation where you are where you need to start, where, where the only thing limiting you is the inability to find new ads, but your other control ads are winning, is you can start to effectively run a horizontal scaling effort by moving those ads into their own campaign, which becomes your control campaign, and then your new winners get dropped into there. And then your biggest okay. problem is coming up with new ads. Okay, so you're just replicating that. Um, and then, okay, sorry, one more question on uh, something re related to that. So if you have a post ID, like my winning ad has a ton of social proof, right? Like it has a good amount of shares, like half a million views, like it has good stuff on it. Um, and I tried to run three new ads in my creative testing, and it's all within one campaign to keep the budget there. Um, will Facebook favor the control ad with the high proof over the three brand new creatives and not give any spend to new creatives? Facebook will favor where it has the highest confidence of keeping people on the Facebook platform and engaging in a, in a positive way. So okay. take that for what it's worth. I know that's not a direct answer. The short answer is it's probably going to favor the, the, the ad it feels confident in. But if you give it uh, like a, a creative testing campaign, 
or creative testing ad set, it will try to get some wins there. And you're going to get some wins and some losses. But by putting that all in one place, you're letting Facebook still have the best um, opportunity of keeping somebody on the platform. Because the number one most important thing in any, in any platform that runs on an algorithm, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever, is keeping people on the platform. So if your ad, and Tim Cook was right when he called media buyers hucksters, if your ad doesn't respect your customer, by meaning basically yeah. it is a burden on their experience, it's going to fail for you. If your ad instead is something that people enjoy and is actually positive to their experience, then you're going to be rewarded for that. So keep that in mind. And honestly, the short answer is it'll probably favor the thing that used to work. But if your new ads are better, they're going to see spend too. It's all a matter of removing as many variables as possible and letting Facebook make the decision to spend the money where it thinks it's going to get the best results. And then using, I love to use automated rules or some logic to say, look, if this is just a losing effort, get rid of it. And all of that stuff is in the one campaign to rule them all book, as well as some automated rules. And keep hanging me with some other questions, and I'll be glad to answer them as long as I got bandwidth to do it. Cool. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Nick. You got it. Thanks, man. All right. Yes. Yes, I'm here. So let's get into uh, let's get into the next question from Professor. Uh, pro Professor Nez. Hey, it's Professor Nez. Good to see you, Yash. Good to see you, Charlie. Uh, uh, yeah. Feel free to call me Nez. All my friends call me Nez. Um, <laughs> yes, that's great. <laughs> Professor, yeah, if you're you nasty. So What's up, Charlie? How are you, dude? I'm, I'm doing great, so man. I can't yeah. really complain. It's like 80 degrees in Los Angeles or something. Like, Yeah, I'm not that far from you. We have to get coffee one of these days. I'm in Orange County. I'm running all right. south of you. All right. So we definitely have to uh, talk. And, and I've been in a lot of rooms with Charlie talking about YouTube and stuff. Yeah. And now I'm gonna, the tables are turned. I, I, I'm so super pumped to ask you guys a question because I have a lot of clients. And also I, I've been interested in Shopify and e-commerce for years. And I've, I've done a lot of stuff with it. But at the same time, I always like to learn and get better. And I know you guys are just masters. And so my question is, if it's okay, I have like two questions and they won't be too crazy. I think you'll be able to answer them fairly quickly. So number one, what are your guys' thoughts on, you know, the kind of difference between, you know, foreign drop shipping like AliExpress, Alibaba, and now you've got all these domestic kind of fulfillment centers like Spocket and, you know, I still don't know where Shopify is with their own fulfillment, uh, domestic fulfillment. Can you can you enlighten us, Charlie and Yash? What what would you say is preferred, especially now with COVID and supply chains? What what do you find is the most viable route? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. So, yes. You want to take this? No, you sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll follow. All right, great. Uh, so, as far as supply chain, and I absolutely love this. Let me give an example. I bought a Sony ZV One last week. It's been in Chicago since Friday because I didn't buy it on Amazon. Um, so that's that's a little bit of something to take into account. What? Amazon has done is they own the marketplace, they own part of the internet and the fulfillment. That's the number one option. That being said, when you're using other places, obviously you can't necessarily utilize Amazon's fulfillment, right? That, that, that's a 
situation there. Um, what what I think is really important is understanding that I that the uh, fulfillment of orders is one of the biggest reasons that dropshipping companies get banned from Facebook and see hundred dollar CPMs and all of that. So I try to get my fulfillment to be as close to the customer as possible. If I'm selling worldwide, then getting something out of China is, is okay. Um, but if I'm selling domestically or maybe it's North America, my goal is to really keep that in, in, in the United States. And, you know, for what it's worth, I found if you can afford it, the optimal way is to get yourself just, you know, a, a crate landed and sitting someplace domestically and then having that be the warehouse that you deliver from. Now that is a blue sky. I mean, honestly, the blue sky situation is owning the warehouse. I have a friend that does that. He owns the warehouse in Tennessee and then leases out space to everybody else, um, which is fantastic. But as far as fulfillment is concerned, um, I find that UPS is, is, is better than FedEx and, and, and the post office is also really solid. But if you can keep your product as close to your customer as possible and understand what is the opportunity cost of having it take three weeks, four weeks from China or two days from the United States. Yes, you might have to pay more money up front. Yes, it might cost you more money in general. But how many sales are you going to lose because you can't offer three day shipping? You can't offer overnight shipping. You can't offer next day. Um, you know. Free shipping is probably the number one upsell opportunity for or, 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 or value add in the world these days. I remember when it was buy two, get one free. But if you can't provide that. Hey, Charlie, really quickly. Yeah. Just to, just to clarify, are you talking are you talking just on the on the front end with the shipping or are you talking like actually identifying fulfillment centers like for somebody like me and my clients like like the the lure of drop shipping is we don't need to have inventory we don't even need to have products right so or, i mean we don't we don't need to worry about buying uh, upfront inventory right so my my question specifically is how do you identify those? I obviously want to get it as close to the customer as possible because we're competing with Amazon, which can get you your shipment within two days, if not less. And so my question is, how do we identify those fulfillment centers? How do we get those products and where, where, how do we even go about doing that? You know what I mean? Oh, that, I, I got you. Yeah. That is more of like a B2B solution. And I totally understand what you're saying. So one of the best things that I do for that is I directly go to the people who are not directly in competition with me, but I will ask around to folks that I, um, I generally pull the audience for something like that. And what I mean by that is um, I will try to ask like where the big fulfillment centers are. And it is, some of it is just cold calling. Some of it is, is, is asking brands that are in the space that I want to be. But if you're doing drop shipping, you're not really in control of a lot of that, which is the big problem. And really most drop shipping situations are you make the sale and then they do the, and then, you know, you're not really front to end in control of that fulfillment. Um, so while that's a really great problem to try to address, I don't know that it's something that you're going to be able to have functional control over in that 
scenario where you're not actually holding any of the inventory. Uh, Yash, I don't know if you have any other experience with that because I know that you're in a different part of the world and you might have a much better answer to this. Yeah, and also, and also, like the the versus like the really quickly, Yash. Sorry, like also like for drop shipping specifically, like what experience have you guys had with Spocket, which is like basically advertising itself as a domestic, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, basically substitute for AliExpress and Alibaba, uh, and, and and what 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 has been your experience if you have any? And then yeah, Yash, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And Charlie, thank you for uh, the idea of drop shipping domestically and how to get those fulfillments. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, regarding the fulfillment, fulfillment for drop shipping, there are some, there are a few things that uh, I know a few of my friends are doing with, like at scale right now for and it's, uh, shipping as alternatives of Alibaba, which is like, have you heard about TJ drop shipping? No, I don't think I have. Yeah, so search for CJ dropshipping and search for something. There's another one. How do you spell that, like, Yash? Can you spell that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's CJ, C for cat, J for joke, and CJ dropshipping. So that's a in-app, a Shopify's app that allows you to find all these suppliers with fast US fulfillment, shipping, and all that, right? And there's another one called Zendrop. So you can also search that Zendrop. They have like a free, uh, free, basically a free version of that where they give you all the US suppliers with two to three day shipping, which is ridiculous, right? So um, that's the that's the other one, which is like Zendrop. And the third one is S-Pocket. Have you heard about S-Pocket? That's yes, a, that's yeah. the one I was kind of asking earlier. Yeah. Yeah, so that 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 that's the S pocket that allows you to like you know that basically gives the US and EU products it's the same. It's like you know that's what you're asking about the Alibaba alternatives, and uh, there's another one which is eProlo. So these are the four like four or five ones that I know. Uh, yeah, these are all Shopify uh, uh, affiliates. Uh, Shopify. Where Shopify approves them, uh, what have you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So CJ Dropshipping is um, uh, Shopify app, Shopify approved. eProlo that I just said is Shopify approved. Zendrop, Shop, it's just directly integrated with your Shopify. You find the product, put it on your store, and start selling it. Do you guys recommend, Charlie and Yash, are you guys basically saying, and I'm not even sure if you're saying this, are you guys saying that dropshipping is like passe now? Like it's not something even, like you should white label and, and, and really become a real business and have your own products and take more ownership, as you say, Charlie, of the fulfillment and distribution to your products? I'll say this. Yeah, I mean, um, with the fulfillment and private label, that's always great to do, right? Because generally what I try to do, right? So generally, in, in, I'm in India, right? So generally what I try to do, I try to test different products with this different drop shipping platform, like, you know, this drop different drop shipping platform. And one I try to see like, uh, you know, once I see there's some potential in it and then I go that route because that route with like private label that that asks for like a huge initial investment, right? Like you got to do those 3PL logistics and all that, right? So generally not go that route, like just starting with private label, I found a product, maybe that product just like there's nothing, right? That can That's a bad product with over, like saturated market and all that, right? So try to test products, right? And uh, uh, and then you can go to the private, uh, you know, 
private equity, uh, not private equity, but the brand white label thing. Yeah, and, and yeah, I really appreciate that. You guys rock. And, and then just lastly, a really stupid question, and I apologize. How do you guys handle like um, as far as purchasing your products? Do you guys have a special way? And I know this is probably a stupid question because most people say, well, yeah, I use PayPal. Well, a lot of kind of vendors don't accept PayPal. And I'm just curious, like, do you guys have a secret, like, this is what I use to pay for my products when I do drop shipping or what have you, and I get benefits on the back end, mileage, certain credit cards. I know it's a basic question, but what do you guys use? I'll tell you this, for me, for those things, Whenever I get into those, I always try to get a nice corporate account with something. And I mean, one of the beauties of running ads anywhere and doing fulfillment anywhere is you just get the points. Uh, honestly, Chase is fantastic. The Chase Freedom is what I've been using for a couple of years. And uh, I mean, it, it just being in business means I can travel wherever, whenever for free. And I, you know, I love that more than other places because it can give me just straight cash and it can integrate with other mile programs and whatever else. But if you use that to accrue your points and then you pay uh, to, to accrue your points and get cash back, then you can pay for like other things that you want to and get points someplace else by basically accruing debt. Uh, and then when you're able to pay off one, you can, you can get points someplace else. But uh, yeah, Chase Freedom, 2%. I actually have the Chase account, so it's so funny you say that, Charlie, because I've been banking with Chase. I'm a new banker with Chase. I mean, I, I'm sure like most of us, I have several accounts, but Chase has been like my – that's so cool that you said that. That really relieves a lot of uh, 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 stress, and I yeah. love that you said that. I'll tell you, that's the best one until I finish my deal with MasterCard where you're going to get more points back, but we'll work on that one. Yes, I'm building a deal with MasterCard so you can get access to me plus more than 2% back, but that's maybe 30 to 45 days away. We'll, we'll see when that lands, and then I'll let you know. Well, dude, I really appreciate your help. You guys rock. This room is, is, is insanely valuable, and uh, I just want to say a huge, huge thank you. You guys rock. Thank you so much. I'll go back to the audience. Thanks so much, Ness. So, uh, yeah, can you hear me, Charlie? I can hear you, man. I can hear you. It looks like we got another question, and let's bring up some other folks. We got uh, another 20 minutes or so here, so let's make the use great. of it. All right, great. So next one is from Seth. Hey, Seth, how you doing? Hi, yes. How are you? Hi, Charlie. Doing good. Yeah, actually, I had a question related to uh, Facebook ads. Google ads. So uh, whenever we run ads, there are a lot of people who will click the ads, but they don't buy. And uh, we will spend the money on marketing as well. But that those are the kind of people who never buy. So ultimately, it's our uh, money going from our pocket. So how do we minimize that? I obviously understand that it's not possible to completely eliminate all those people. Uh, but is there a way to, you know, minimize those kind of like how to bring more quality traffic into our websites so that the conversion rate is higher? Well, okay. So Charlie, do you want to take on? Or sure, sure. Yeah, I'll take this. So this yeah. is a this is a really interesting problem, and it, and it and honestly, like this is this is not a problem that we see in every country. It's very country specific because some people have COD, some people don't. Right. And I think where, uh, where you guys are at, that's a much bigger case. And, and so 
one of the ways that I try to maximize the quality of the people that I'm bringing in is by focusing on performance-based lookalikes uh, at my top of my funnel and also really trying to make sure that I can uh, eliminate a lot of my reliance on uh, what I would consider to be vanity metrics, um, CPC, CPMs. There are ways of juicing it so you get higher volume, but volume almost always comes at the expense of quality. So my point to this is, if you know the people that are actually receiving the product, not returning, not, you know, whatever, and you can make an audience out of those individuals, even if it's a manual upload, like once a day, once a week, once a month, that is an audience that is fundamentally more valuable than to anybody that says, yeah, I'm interested, and then turns it away at the door. So I think that's a very interesting use case that is applicable to certain environments um, of what I would call performance-based lookalike, meaning I'm building an audience out of people that are taking the specific action that is most valuable to me and the performance that I want, and then focusing after that. Um, and then the other things you can do is, um, you know, making sure that you, if you can, get a lot more inside of like a CRM database. This is another great place where email marketing and SMS are really, really strong. If you can reach people in a way where you don't have to pay to reach them, and you can also qualify individuals for second, third, and fourth purchases. Because if somebody's bought from you once or twice, the likelihood of them buying a third or fourth or fifth time is much higher. Um, and it's a way of rooting out those who are basically undesirables. And um, it, it's not a slight against anybody, but for, to be completely fair, um, there's a big liability for, for a fair amount of individuals that we have to deal with. And if we can eliminate that, then we're going to be in a much better place. Does, does that help? And I know that Yash has more direct experience on the ground with this type of problem. Uh, yep, exactly. So uh, talking about the COD thing and all that, uh, let's focus on two things, right? Your channels that you drive traffic conversions like sales from and uh, post click, right? So sometimes, to convert more people, maybe you need to adjust your uh, page because, like, generally, what happens, like, you know, like the best audience. I just saw your uh, uh, real Charlie, the best audience is 18 plus, and I kind of heard about uh, that, that's really uh, amazing. So, now when you go that route, so you're gonna get a bunch of people just like you know, interested to know your product and like you know, just want to read about it and all that. So one thing you can optimize the post click, which I think Charlie said, which is like, you know, optimizing your landing page, you know, whatever the slow speed is and having all the key ingredients that need it, right? Testimonials and all the good stuff in there. That's one thing. Uh, you can, you can, there are a bunch of blog articles for the CRO, right? Uh, you can read them as well to optimize it. Number two is you can change the channel. So you, if you're using Facebook, why not try Google search? Because when you try Google search, that's more intent, like not intent based, but the search based and the demand is already built. So you can see quick, uh, like, you know, quick fix there because now only people are going to be clicking. They're interested and the likelihood of them buying is very high. So the conversion rate will sky, will sky high, right? Or you can try YouTube ads, which right now I am experiencing. Uh, uh, I'm experiencing that I was, uh, and right now I'm thinking I was living under the rock for all this year, but not using, not utilizing YouTube ads with Facebook ads. So with YouTube ads, what you can do, actually, you can create audience based off people's 
uh, a page of people google search which you cannot do with facebook so that's a add on so for example if you sell a hair care product or something related to that you can actually create an audience all the people who search the hair care or hair care products or like hair shampoo or conditioner whatever it is and you can create an audience of that that's going to be like a pretty good amount like if the search volume is high that's going to be very good size of audience and then you can start running ads to them you can start like display ads and i recommend them but you can start youtube ads uh, showing you the ads to them and the likelihood of them buying is very high because again the the, the you know uh the the demand is there the interest is there so yeah there are things i would do uh actually i was thinking of launching an affiliate program let's say if uh, i am whatever amount i am paying to facebook i can pay for each conversion i can pay the same amount to an individual who will refer my product and let's say if he makes the sale so i am happy yeah. to give that yeah so, i okay so, so you're you're asking about is it a good idea or not yeah exactly because uh, in that way you know we trust our friends and if they recommend then uh, there's a higher chance of i mean yeah you can you can do that uh, that's one of the one of the another source that we're trying to implement with some of our brands but here's what you got to make sure what aff- affiliates are great if they're like if they're like click bank affiliates like if you're like if you're not going like heavy right so like if you're basically trying to list your product on click bank and you're going to have a bunch of like scammy guys good guys average guys right but if you're just trying to build your own affiliate thing you're thinking that people are going to come and you're going to pay per sale the the results going to be really good but here's the thing what facebook and i think uh, charlie uh, can add extra to it which is what facebook and google will provide affiliates won't won't pro, uh, won't provide and i'm happy to debate on this topic which is uh uh which is like the if you see if you notice your brand name close uh, if you search your brand name uh um that you're going to see a search in your your brand name it's called like you know it's branding stuff like more people going to google searching your brand uh affiliates affi- uh, affiliates can't provide that Charlie am i correct or yeah i mean affiliates can generally it depends on your relationship you have with them uh but what you're it, it, it's it's good to own your brand although if you're going to go the affiliate route to grow your brand i would say the number one person doing this is snow is is josh um and, and like last time i yeah. talked with him like what he's doing is brilliant he's having affiliates do all of the marketing for him they're all building awareness around his brand by basically making a third party that sells the product that they brand is their own thing but all of it is built around his brand equity and then he just does pr stunts and bottom funnel retargeting so that's an amazing way to look at that um these are also some really in-depth questions and i appreciate it and feel free to message me more offline to get some of this stuff just um because there's several different ways of going about this and every one of them could be their own hour long convo and i want to respect everybody else but um absolutely i think if you're going to go this route um look to the people that are doing it really really well and see how much of what they're doing you can straight up steal as far as strategy and yeah. tactics okay thank you charlie thank you yes thank you so much for your time you're welcome
Good stuff. So, seems like Nick is here again. Hey, Nick, how you doing? Much faster time with the unmute. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, quick follow-up question for Charlie that I forgot to uh, get to from before in regards to your audience on the control campaign. Um, when you update the uh, new audiences or your, your normal audiences with the new winning creative, does that in of itself set you back into learning phase for that control campaign? Um, it will, however, um, it's not something I'm terribly concerned with primarily because yes, it will go into the learning phase, but what is the impact of that element of that change? I do think that the learning phase is something that should be avoided at all costs. However, sometimes that learning phase is more of a formality. Um, the way that we, we can't make big changes like that without going into it. However, if it doesn't last for long and the net impact is still very good results for you, uh, I, I think you're still going to be in a good place. So yes, it's likely to happen. No, it's probably not that big of a deal. And point number three is see how much of an impact that it has, because maybe it means that you see a dip for a day or two and then you come back, then you can understand, Hey, next time I do this, this is a result that I can expect to see. And that way you can forecast the impact of taking those moves. If it's in, indeed going to have a, an issue, which it, which it may very well be. Now that's totally yeah. dependent on overall volume, what your stability looks like, what your business needs are. All of this is 80% of the people, 80% of the time trying to give the best general advice. But the number one thing is understand your numbers and be able to appreciate the impact of the behavior that you're taking. And I love that you're worried about the learning phase because it means you're thinking the right way. Um, but to kind of summarize, yes, it's gonna happen, but I wouldn't worry about it if the net benefit that you're looking for in a week, in a month, is mm -hmm. something that you think is more desirable than the situation you're in currently. So then on, on that, maybe like if you have two winning creatives within your creative test, you do both of those at the same time to maximize getting out of the learning phase quicker, right? Rather than doing a one and then one the next week. Um, like it that. depends. It depends. I would try to make the least amount of impact that I can. So you can launch both of them at the same time, or you can launch one of them. And then the next one, you can, you can have a rollout of highest confidence if you want to. Okay. That's a general good rule of thumb. Um, if you have two or three winners and, and by that, if you're in a creative test, don't graduate two of them if you don't need to. If Graduate the best one and then yeah. see how it fits and then go to the next and the next. It's not a race to get as many winning ads in your control campaign as possible. It's okay. an effort of having the highest confidence move because even if you're absolutely stone cold killer at this, you're going to be wrong one out of every four or five times. You're going to miss. Control ads will, ads will crush in creative testing and fail in your control ads, it's going to happen. At least one out of every four or five ads, just it just doesn't translate. So, And then when you move from the winner from the creative into control, uh, do you turn off the winner in the, in the creative? That's a great question, and I think it's a great way to wrap this kind of topic up. I will remove it from my creative testing once it shows that it's an asset in my in control, control campaign. Got if it, it's winning it. in both places, I'm not going to turn it off because it's making me money. The reason right. I'll turn it off in my creative testing is because my new number one objective is to find the next creators. best ad. Yep, makes sense. There you go. Remove liabilities, focus on the number one problem. Don't diversify your spend. There you go. <laughs> Much appreciated, bro. Thank you. You bet.
All right. So, uh, um, so we have Gregory next up. Gregory from Empire Flipper. So, by the way, um, I invited Gregory on the speaker room because I saw him on YouTube about Empire Flipper. So, hey, Gregory, how you doing? Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, it's funny you mentioned uh, YouTube. We actually ran a few YouTube ads uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I saw you. I saw the same face. I thought, okay, it's good to have you in the speaker room. You can fight my brand awareness campaign at work right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Exactly. I uh, thought like you can add some value here. Yeah, sure. I, I just dropped. I, I literally just started using Clubhouse. I, I just dropped in. I saw uh, this DTC room. Uh, DTC is actually a bigger focus of mine for this year. So that I hopped in and eavesdropped on you and Charlie. I, was expecting to get pulled up here, but here I am. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. We'll, we'll, uh, after this one question, we'll maybe we'll talk about a little bit more about Empire Flippers. Um, so yeah, so, uh, Charlie, next question I think uh, is coming from, um, Harvest Wick. Uh, yes, it's, I hope I pronounced this question. Yeah, you, you did, you did, Yash. It's Harvey. So, uh, nice meeting you, Yash. Nice meeting you, Charlie. I've been in the room for quite some time, so I've been listening to you guys and great value. I've got a couple of questions, but I'll just start with one, and it's around the Facebook ads. Um, so I've noticed that with my um, setup, uh, I do notice that I'm kind of converting at a certain time of the day. So say, for example, between, say, 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., right? So I've got a budget from my ad set, and I'm wondering, um, is it is it a bad thing to kind of switch off your ad set or your ads completely for some time and then just turn it on at the time that you want when you think that people are probably converting the most? Does the algorithm of Facebook kind of doesn't like it, and can that mess up my data? Uh, great question. This is a strategy called day parting. Um, and some people will say you can only do it if you have lifetime budgets, but they're wrong because you can do it with automated rules. And it's something that I do on a lot of accounts. Um, I like to use automated rules to shave waste. So what I'm saying by that is if you're identifying places that are doing performing poorly for you, I would take a look at how much of your spend by percent by hour, say 5% of my spend happens in this hour and I get 2% of my results or 10% of my spend and it reflects 5% of my results. And it's not a desirable outcome. If you can identify one single block of time during the day, sometimes it might be in the middle of the night, it might be what, whatever's going on. If you can identify that block, there's no harm in the algorithm from removing it from seeing the, the that time. That is something that occurs often. Now, Facebook is probably already doing this a lot on its own. You're probably spending far less in the hours that are bad for you than you are in the hours that are good. But that being said, you can absolutely go in there with an automated rule that says, turn off my campaign at this time and turn on my campaign at, at another time. That's two rules um, inside of Facebook. And if you use that to just get rid of the uh, one block of time that is the largest liability, then you'll be good to go. If you're any bit of an Excel nerd, what you can do is what's called indexing your performance and index your spend and your return um, by hour, by each hour of the day. And you can go into Facebook and you can see 
In delivery, there's an option that says time of day, ad account, which means during my time in my ad account, where am I getting the most spend and where am I getting the most return? And you might find that there is an absolute block of time that is a liability. I see it on almost every account. The question is whether or not you want to plan for it. If you do want to plan for it and you want to build the ads, it's not a terrible idea. I'll probably do that on 20 to 30% of accounts, not every time, but sometimes it's the right move to make. Um, and, and so I wouldn't be afraid of it. If you have high confidence, then go for it. The one thing that I'll say is, Make sure, I, I would focus on one block of time. Don't try to cheat by doing it in multiple sections throughout the day. When you turn something off and when you turn something on, it's not just a flick of a switch. It's not binary like, yes, I'm making money. No, I'm not. There is an element of understanding what's going on inside the platform. So I try to turn my ads. If I notice a five-hour block where it is just a liability, say it's midnight to five o'clock in the morning, I'm not getting, I'm spending more money than I'm making back or, or something. It's a liability for me. I won't go dark at noon or midnight and then come back live at five. I might go in there and turn my ads off at like 1230 and turn them back on at 430 just so I can make sure that I'm hitting those edges so that I, I, I'm not just completely dark and, 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 and on. Uh, and, I, and I really focus on that because we don't really want to use automation or hard constraints anywhere to have an extremely steadfast focus only on the best place. What you want to do is just try to remove the absolute worst places in the softest way. So like I said, if you have a five-hour block, maybe you knock out the four hours right in the middle by turning your ads on and off at like 30 minutes past the hour and before the hour. That's something that I do probably 80% of the time when I'm doing this, I'll do that. And um, for what it's worth, if you've got a very complex account, um, it might be something where you turn off your prospecting. So it only runs during your best hours, but you leave your retargeting on all day. That is something that, um, well, I, I've done at scale with, with brands running 5,000 a day or 50,000 a day um, or, or 500 a day. Uh, so just to keep that in mind, um, love the thinking. Yes, you can do it. Automated rules is how you get it done. And don't try to be completely exact. Just eliminate the absolute worst places you can in a soft way, if that makes sense. Uh, I think this is one of the reasons I, I really love Clubhouse. Charlie, I can't thank you enough. You, you probably saved me five weeks of learning and searching in, in five minutes. So. I really, really thank you for, for your feedback and your help. Uh, this is Herve, and I am out. Thank you again. Love it, Herve. Thank you very much, man. Stick around. You know, ask me more questions some other time. Come back when you have your next big question, and I'll help you out for sure. I will stick around. And if you don't mind, I, I didn't want to take too much time, but I do have one kind of silly question. I know they do say no question is a silly question, but um, I'm at that stage now where you do get somebody from Facebook calling you and say, hey, We'd like to help you with some free advice. And uh, I've done this kind of testing before, which is I'm running a, a conversion compare campaign because my product is all about conversion, right? So I, I'm looking for those purchases. Uh, but I, I, I've, I've heard people say, well, it's too expensive for me. And, you know, it's, it, you know, my, my CPM, my, my, my CPA is just way too high and I'm not converting, right? So I'm running with traffic campaigns and, you know, I'm, 
I'm very hesitant about doing a traffic campaign because of the quality of the data, but apparently it does work for some, it doesn't work for others. Yeah, it, it um, works for some folks, but I wouldn't go that route. Like you're, you're creating more of a problem for you down road. Win with conversion campaigns. It's gonna be harder to do upfront, but you're gonna be in a much better place in three months because you won't have to completely rebuild everything to start actually doing things the right way. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. <laughs> All right. I got time for one more one more question here. So let's get to it. Thank you, everybody. And yeah, she can stick around and help more people out too. Like uh exactly. this is this is great. So let's get cash up and then I have a I have a call. I'm, I'm a couple minutes late, but whatever. They can wait for me. That's I'm I'm like one of twenty people on a VidCon, so screw it. Sure. So let's get uh cash in and then we're gonna uh talk with a little bit about empire slippers with Craig Reeves. So, uh, Cash, I think Cash, you're Vijay. Hey, Vijay, how you doing? Unmute yourself and you can ask your question. Cash, where's your cash? I mean, uh, Vijay, are you there? Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Okay, I don't. Sorry. Okay, so, uh, uh, Charlie, this is a very short question for you. You know, I've got a local not-for-profit client who's got little to no budget. What do you say to using boosting posts as a strategy to develop their engagement? Uh, that can work. Dennis Yu has the dollar a day on your one-minute video strategy that can absolutely work if your budget's like 50 bucks a month. You can do that. I personally wouldn't boost the post. I'd go into the Facebook ad account and then select that post by use existing post and target my specific market that way. You'll get a lower CPM when you're doing that. Um, but it's absolutely a viable way of getting attention. I would do it that way. And also, if it's a video, go onto YouTube and make sure you're getting reached in two platforms. If you got 100 bucks a month, 50 bucks on Facebook, 50 bucks on YouTube is probably better than 100 bucks in either place. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. No problem. All right, we got. I got. I got time for one more. That one was a quick one. Let's get to Tina, and then I gotta hop up. Thank you yeah. so much for have, having me. And my question is easy. And so just now, I also mentioned the speaker talking about uh, there are drop shipping within the United States uh, linked to Shopify. That's very helpful. But my question is, if I want to create a brand and uh, does drop shipping in Shopify store does that uh, route works? You can absolutely build a brand off of drop shipping. Um, you can. I would say though, most drop shipping situations are not very evergreen, and so it's you can build a brand off of that if you think you can get if you're really good at finding winning products over and over again. And you can build something off of that. Um, however, if you find that there's a winning product or winning service you're really winning, they're really working on, um, I would try to take some of that in-house if you can. Where you can also win with this is having all of your dropshipping products themed around a specific type of something. Uh, a friend of mine, Court, did everything he has around like the squishy cat iPhone accessory stuff. And, and he quit his day job and is now running an agency where he's doing, you know, 50, 60 K a month in billable. So it's absolutely possible. Um, but if you're going to go that route, make sure you have stuff that will last as long as possible. 
or that you're really good at picking things that continue, where you can continue to introduce new products that are all themed around one thing. So how about uh, the, like when you start and then they definitely not doing the packaging, those things for you when you just start drop shipping, um, how can I make the package like my own customized package then? Well, that's the problem in drop shipping is you're not going to really have that level of control. So you have to, you have to uh, control that experience offline uh, or online only. So that, that's, that's the struggle. I see. Thank you so much. All right. Awesome. Well, Hey, I'm getting pinged into this other spot, so I'm going to leave quietly. Yash, you keep running stuff and uh, you know, this is great fun. We do this every Wednesday. I hope this is valuable for you all. I got to go. I'm getting yelled at for not getting into a call. So I'll talk to you guys later. No problem. Thanks so much, Charlie. So, uh, yeah. So, um, this conversation, uh, with Gregory, so Gregory, I'm going to make you a uh, moderator. So, uh,